Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. The pandemic continues to impact bars across the country. On this episode, we're going to talk with three publicans of beloved craft beer bars about what 2021 has been like, measures they've taken to survive, and the decision to close. Listen to Chris Black of the Falling Rock Tap House in Denver, Polly Watts of the Avenue Pub in New Orleans, and Michael Roper of Hopleaf in Chicago talk about their bars, the past, the present, and the future. First up, we're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to these sponsors, including Athletic Brewing Company. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great-tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Their full lineup of craft styles lets you drink up and stay dry while keeping things fresh. And with brews starting at only 50 calories, you can stick to your resolutions all while saying cheers. Join the party at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers can get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhops ltd to learn more so yeah a lot of us had high hopes for 2021 and getting back into normalcy old routines and sitting down on familiar bar stools it didn't necessarily turn out as we had hoped again over the course of this past year i've talked with a lot of brewery owners and brewers and publicans about how covid19 has impacted them and changed the brewing industry but like we did at this time last year i want to talk about bars and what the pandemic has done to them so once again on the show i'm honored to be joined by three of the very best in the country Polly Watts of the avenue pub in new orleans michael roper of hopleaf in chicago and chris black of the former Falling Rock Tap House in Denver. Black, of course, he closed the Falling Rock earlier this summer. It was a huge loss for beer in America. Now, with a few months of hindsight, he offers up thoughts on what nearly 25 years in business did to him and how he'll move forward. We spoke shortly before Christmas with Chris in Denver, Michael in Chicago, and Polly in New Orleans. And much like last year, they really didn't need me here. So I was just happy to listen. Here's their conversation. Michael, I want to start with you. When 2021 comes to a close, what kind of year is it going to have been for you? Well, um, it's certainly a very interesting year. (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, It's been very stressful, but uh, we reopened on April 1st. And if we compare our numbers, for uh, April 1st of 2019 to the end of the year. Uh, We're gonna be kind of on par with the 2019 numbers, which is very impressive because we're open 20 hours uh, less a week. We have substantially fewer employees. We have a smaller food menu. Um, So all that taken into account um, we've been we've been busy. Customers have been loyal. Employees have worked really hard. 
and um, you know, I think it's I think it's a successful year in spite of everything. Polly, are are you in a similar situation? No, and I I think you know Michael's season and my season are basically opposite. So we are normally busy. Like if you look at our pre-pandemic numbers, we're normally busy from uh, about the end of September, beginning of October until sort of mid to end of May. And then things collapse at the end of May and stay dead until September. So when, when, we obviously Mardi Gras and the tourism season was is is a big part of of New Orleans. And even though we're very much a locals bar, we're still very dependent on tourism. Um, so for us, the 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 lion's share of 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 things being you know post vaccination and being able to open was in the summer months. So that. I'm afraid that that pretty much killed us. We, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think that there's a lot of business to happen, you know, in the next five or six months where our season will be good, but I would say that we're probably going to be down um, about 60%, uh, 55, 60% over our, uh, maybe even 75% over our, over our 2019 numbers, because again, things really didn't start opening up here until, until early summer. And that's when we're, we're dead anyway. You, you made some significant changes to the bar, um, in terms of staffing in terms Mm -hmm. of occupancy, food service. Um, I know those changes were brought about because of COVID has there been silver linings to making those changes? Has life gotten Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, one thing that I'm sure Michael and um, Chris will agree on is that one thing that COVID forced us to do was to sit back and take stock of, of, of what we were doing and what we like about it, what we don't like about it. And, and, you know, the pub started as a little, you know, $350,000 gross business when I took over from my dad in 2007. And we had we had built it into this behemoth that was, you know, over 2 million gross. And in that process, you, 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 you end up being like a dog going after your tail. You get bigger, you need more staff, you have less time to spend with your customers. Um, you know, and we have, um, we have a fairly small footprint in terms of our building. So one of the things that we've been wanting to do for, for years before, uh, before the pandemic happened was we, we wanted to up our food game and make it, you know, somewhat equal to our beer and our whiskey game. Um, and as time went on, even before the pandemic, and I'm sure Chris and Michael will agree, uh, you know, we saw that craft beer, the craft beer geeks were going more and more to the breweries and where our opportunity lay was, was in people enjoying the entire experience. Um, which includes food, which includes service, um, and includes all those other things. So, so those were changes that we that we had in mind before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit. We were shut down for a while. You know, three quarters of my staff uh, left the industry. They're not. They're not even in the industry anymore. Um, so it gave us a chance to really look at. You know, what what do we what 
aside from the money, what gives us pleasure about running the Avenue Pub? And the answer to that is a connection with customers, uh, giving people that, you know, there's a reason we're in hospitality. We, we, we service industry is about service. And we, we wanted to get back to that place where we had the time to get to know our customer base on a, uh, on a, on a deeper level and um, spend more time with them and not just feel like we were running people through uh, running through people through a, a kiosk or something. So we're really happy with it. The, the response that we've gotten from the new customer base has been tremendous. And we got some people that are pissed off that, that, that we're not doing what we used to do. Um, but every time I've made a change, you, you make somebody mad <laughs> when you do that. Um, and, but the people that we've gotten as new customers and we are, are wonderful. And the sort of exciting thing about it is, is we have customers who were regulars 10, 15 years ago, um, or, you know, even five to 10 years ago, and they've sort of moved on and had families. Well, they're coming back now, whereas in our old model, they would not have because it didn't fit, you know, they had kind of grown up. And I think the best way to put it is the pub grew up a little bit too. Chris, as you were thinking about your final weeks um, at Falling Rock and sort of taking stock of what the bar had become, everything that you had added over time, um, you're probably talking about building up the food game in the same way or uh, you know, finding a little bit of balance, um, were, there, were there things that you looked back on and said, you know, Boy, you know this was this. Was, I'm really glad we did this at this time. Or was there something that said, "Boy, this is more of a headache than maybe it it ultimately proved out to be"? Um, you know, there were a lot of changes we made over the years that really, really helped us get get information across to people in a in a quicker manner, so that we could actually. Uh, do the business that we needed to do, especially during peak times like the Great American Beer Festival. I mean, uh, I mean, I had people coming out and going, you know, it just doesn't seem as busy. I'm like, well, there's there's just as many people in the bar. There's not a line out in front of people, uh, which is fine with me. Uh, but you can get a beer within usually about five or six minutes, whereas you know, back in the day, it might take you 20 or 30 minutes just to get a beer. But, you know, we did some things and made some changes with the, the you, know, our, you know, for the rotating beers, numbering the handles and having uh, handouts for all that kind of information so that when you got to the bar, you knew what you wanted and we could give more information about what was going on. That was a huge change that really, really upped our game. I, uh, you know, things that I kind of wish that we had been able to do uh, would be to open up, you know, do something more with our food and everything like that. But that ended up being one of our biggest problems was because we lost our whole kitchen staff and um, the main people, the, the, the kitchen managers that we had found some really terrific jobs at some commercial kitchens where they worked Monday through Friday, nine to five, and they didn't have to work nights or weekends anymore. And the rest of the people, the the line cooks, they totally just are not in the business anymore. They're not in the industry. And they left and we could not 
find any kitchen help. And for the last year during COVID, it was just my brother in the kitchen. And I mean, he was putting out some good food. Yeah. Uh, it looked terrific. It tasted great. I mean, his ticket times were uh, amazing for there being one person back there and him not being, you know, that wasn't his, you know, normal thing that he did. I mean, I think he kicked butt, but it just got to where he could not physically do that anymore. Uh, I mean, his blood pressure was so sky high. His cardiologist was having seizures too. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so anyway, uh, you know, it was a, it was a mixed bag, but you know, our customers, uh, I mean, that was really one of the things, I mean, it used to be a place where, um, I worked where everybody came to see me and, and everything like that. And it's, it's a little more challenging to see the people now, you know, <laughs> Michael, how, how has staffing been for you? Uh, it's been very, very difficult. Uh, we haven't had a lot of trouble staffing the front of the house and most of our core front of the house people did um, come back. But uh, prep cooks, line cooks, dishwashers, food runners, bussers, uh, they just evaporated, you know. Uh, A lot of them found other work. Some of them went back to Mexico. Um, Some of them, we don't know what happened to them. Uh, But it's been very, very difficult to, to do what we used to do uh, since this happened. So many things that we used to make in-house. We used to make all of our own sausages, charcuterie. We did whole animal butchery. We did a lot of things uh, in-house that now we, we can't. Um, we, uh, we only have a full dinner menu uh, on weekends now, uh, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, and Sunday. During the week, we have an abbreviated food menu because I just don't have uh, the people. Um, I will say that, you know, because we've been short, we've learned how to do more multitasking and we are doing some things more efficiently. Uh, I'll also say that one of the trends that has helped us through this, uh, is that, um, we are, so we're doing way, way better at lunch than we've ever done before. Um, so you know, are we. That's interesting. Really? So we thought yeah. in 2017, 18, 19, we frequently had, you know, staff meetings in which we said, like, why are we doing lunch? <laughs> like, why don't we open at four? Uh, it's just not worth it. Um now, I mean, last summer, 40% of our revenue was, was uh, before six o'clock. Um, and I thought it was going to die off when the cold weather came and the patio closed. But actually, um, we're, we're doing great business at lunch. Conversely, um, after 1130 or so, uh, it dies. Uh, our late night. That's exactly our situation, too. That's interesting, yep. Michael, that 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 it's happening in Chicago. I just thought it was a new Orleans thing, but, but, uh, well, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just think that's interesting. Well, uh, Polly, I've talked to my friends in New York city. I've talked to my friends, uh, out on the West coast, everybody's saying the same thing that the late night 
uh, business just isn't coming back. And, you know, the thing is, I'd rather serve a room full of people at 1.30 in the afternoon than 1.30 in the morning anyway. Um, oh, me too. It's really great for the quality of life of our staff. Um, you know, if it, getting home at uh, around midnight instead of 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning um, is a, a, a good thing. Uh, it helps us keep people. It keeps people a little more rested. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm actually, this is a trend that I, I think is good. Why it's happening, uh, mm -hmm. I have a theory that has no scientific research, but other than my own life, is that when I was in my 20s or 30s, I didn't want to go home if I went out on a Wednesday night because my apartment was so bleak. Well, now people have made their homes into pleasure palaces with, you know, they've got Netflix, they've got, you know, a big plasma TV, they've got a kegerator in the kitchen, they've got their gummies so they can do the THC thing, they can, uh, you know, they've got good beer uh, and wine, uh, they have video games, they have so much to do at home that after they come in and have a couple of beers and a sandwich, um, it's not such, it's not like being sentenced to to go to Siberia to go home. And so I think that that has impacted the late night um, tavern business quite a bit. That's a, that, that's a pretty good theory. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, and we of course were the quintessential late night bar. I mean, we were 24 seven before the pandemic and um, we close at midnight now and yeah. we're only open four nights a week. And I will tell you that, you know, we at first were trying to stay open a little bit later uh, and the, the business just collapses um, when the kitchen closes. And that's the opposite of the way it used to be. Yep. Same here. Could, could you imagine or do you have a desire to go back to 24-7, Polly? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think in a city like New Orleans, there's, yeah. there's a need for, uh, for a 24 seven bar. I mean, most of our, most of our graveyard business was actually third shift workers. So those folks, the doctors, the police, EMS, um, a little bit of oil field, you know, those people that were getting off at four or five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, they have no place to go now. Because there's no place that's open with food at that hour. Now there's still a couple of bars that are doing um, that are doing 24-hour bar service, but um, it's the, there, there's definitely a need in New Orleans for that. But you know, there, I, I can't even begin to dream about staffing that. I mean, we're closed on Sunday because, and we could make good money on Sunday, but our hours are basically catered to. There are only so many doubles that me and my general manager can work. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if I add Sunday, that's another day where somebody can call out and I have to go in. And I just, I, it's like Chris was talking about his brother. I, you, I physically, I can't, I can't do it. So until the staffing situation reaches a better equilibrium, um, there's no way I, 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 I just don't see us opening up for, for more days. We'll either make it on the days we can, staff now or or we won't um because again you know my blood pressure i'm on three maintenance medications right now to just 
keep myself from losing my mind. Um, and I've talked with other small businesses that, that hospitality businesses in the city too, and they're considering closing down another day or two a week because of the staffing challenge. Yeah, we've tried to, you know, we have been able to stay open seven days a week, but, you know, cut out all of the um, late nights and we, we drastically slashed the food menu uh, Monday. Well, and that's an interesting, yeah, and that's an interesting approach. I hadn't even, you know, we've cut the hours back. We're closing basically at midnight every night, but, but I hadn't actually considered changing the, 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 the available food menu and for for some of those days um that's something i'll have to that's a good suggestion it sounds like it's worked for you it's worked and you know the thing is is that it has allowed us to have a much smaller line less prep um you know every everything is reduced so that um we can run it with a lot fewer people but we still have some good food uh, just a very streamlined menu four days a week. And because I think it's really important to be open seven days. Um, and we've had other issues that have challenged that. We're all of our employees um, are tested for COVID every week. Um, we have, wow. we actually have someone that comes in uh, from a lab and does it on site. Um, and um, it's actually possible to be tested twice a week uh, at Hopleaf. The good thing is that we know what's How happening. How much does that cost? It doesn't cost us anything. The state of Illinois pays it. Oh, yeah, that's not a possibility here. So, um, yeah, it's free. And um, the problem is, is, of course, if you test more often, uh, people test positive, uh, even if they're... Um, symptom free and then we you know we ask them to uh isolate so right now we have two people isolating um two weeks ago we had five people isolating now uh and that's it's so random uh you know we don't know whether it's going to be a couple bartenders two people in the kitchen a dishwasher uh you just have to take them out of the mix and fortunately, no one has really gotten very sick. Um, in fact, most of them didn't get sick at all. I tested positive uh, September 1st. Uh, I stayed home for 10 days. I had no symptoms whatsoever. Um, Michael, are you, are you running into one of our challenges, um, especially with kitchen staff, is the quarantines that they're doing in schools? So, you know, the, the the child goes to school, there's an exposure in the class and they, they send the kid home, you know, basically for was it seven to 10 days. Yeah. Can't go back to school because of an exposure. And then of course you, 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 you have no employee during that time. Are you we've running into some, that? We've had some of that. We've had more problems with people taking care of, um, uh, older parents who right. uh, either the parent has it or their brother has it or a cousin. And then they, the whole family sort of, uh, you know, uh, locks down. And right. uh, so we had, had several yeah. incidents like that. And, you know, it's just, I, we get, a, I'll get a text in the morning, you know, that says like, you know, Alex is not going to be in for this. 
10 days. For the next 10 and, days, uh, right. <laughs> and he's scheduled to 10 bar uh, five days a week. So um, right. it, it's been exceedingly challenging. And, you know, this is on top of the other challenges is that, you know, one week I can't get fryer oil. The next week I can't yeah. get onions. The next week there's no, uh, we're not going to have steak on the menu because there is no steak. And the same yeah. thing is happening with beer. Um, you know, yeah. some of our best selling beers um, are now not available for a week or two weeks at a time. Uh, it's very hard to put together a, a great selection, um, trying to keep 62 beer lines uh, full and interesting when there's such supply chain issues. Yeah, we went down severely on the number of drafts that we that that we offer um, because obviously we were in the summer and we always go down during the summer. But but we're we're not offering the selection now. Of course, our cellar is still pretty big, but we're not offering the number of taps that 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 we offered before. Can I ask with this with the shift to more lunch crowds? <laughs> Are you finding that the beers that you are ordering are different from maybe what you were ordering in 2019 when you were doing a more robust evening business? Like are, are drinking habits different in the, in the day at your places versus. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. You know, absolutely. I, I don't know whether it's all because of that, but some of it's, um, you know, people who at night might drink a St. Bernardus at 12 uh, for lunch, they're going to have a Pivo Pills. You know, yeah, uh, right. we're selling a way, way more lagers and pilsners and uh, lower gravity beers uh, during the day. I would agree with that. As Chris, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to make Michael and Polly too, uh, too, too jealous. But as, as you're hearing about the, you know, the stressors and the midnights and the the two a.m.s, um, how has quality of life been after 25 years behind the stick? Uh, how's your quality of life been over the last five, five or so months? Um, it's been pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, it was, it, you know, the actual closing down was was like somebody had died. Uh, but a lot of people came to the wake, including yourself and, yeah. and some other people uh, who showed up on that Wednesday. And I really wish I could have spent a little bit more time, but we didn't have the staff <laughs> to, to deal with it. So I had to be behind the bar the, the, the whole night on that night. Uh, but uh, after that, I mean, I have uh, gotten to spend a lot more time with my wife uh, which has been fantastic because uh, I still like her um, even <laughs> after, let's see, uh, we're coming up on 35 years of being married and almost 40 years of being together. And she likes you. And she still likes me, which I, I you know, think is the best part about it. Uh, and that's the miracle part. And, uh, but, uh, and I got to take a little bit of time off. I, uh, I do an annual camping trip with uh, my assistant Beth and her family and my wife and some other friends. And we go outside a steamboat and camp. And this is the first time I got to spend all eight days up there, which was pretty spectacular. And 
It was the longest, you know, vacation I had had in uh, 25 years and uh, probably actually a little bit more. And then I, uh, oh, at the end of October through the first part of November, I took off for 20 days and took the signs that uh, one of my former bartenders, Paul Vesmara, had painted for all the different breweries. They were out on the patio at Falling Rock, and I took four of those signs to the breweries that paid for them. It was kind of the excuse for it. And I went yeah. uh, from Denver down to San Diego, all the way up to Seattle, and then uh, back. Uh, it was just short of 5,000 miles in 20 days, and that was the longest uh, time I'd been away from home since I was 17 years old. So that's 41 wow. years. Yeah. And uh, it felt amazing. And, uh, so I had company on most of it. Like my former assistant was on parts of it. My wife was in the middle of it. So uh, it was really fun to see a bunch of people and spend some time and, you know, have some, uh, some dinners together with people and, and just, uh, it, it was wonderful. It was very cathartic. And, uh, but now, now I'm getting, uh, all finishing off getting out of my warehouse space and, uh, getting rid of the rest of my, the detritus of 24 years of bar and, uh, figuring out, uh, what in the world I'm gonna, uh, gonna do. I mean, I'm talking from my basement, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know, kind of like the rec room uh, spare bedroom in my house. And it has uh, pretty much every square inch of uh, wall space is taken with signage. So. <laughs> um, Do you think you want to get back into the industry, Chris? Um, I really don't have a lot of desire. You know, I kind of said what I had to say. And, uh, a lot of people liked that. And there were some people that don't, didn't like it. Um, and it's, you know, um, it's really tough, uh, in the craft bar, in the craft beer bar part of it. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to, you know, showcase all the, the new beers and, and, and get people interested in beers. And, um, you know, the, the breweries decided that, you know, uh, we got it and, uh, and they're taking all the things that made our business special, uh, kind of taking those things away. And then they're wondering why they don't have tap handles out in the marketplace. And they're wondering why, you know, I mean, the pandemic kind of screwed up a couple of those things because, um, you can't really look at the numbers right now, but uh, if you look at the way things were trending prior to COVID, uh, you know, you were seeing a lot of their sales in uh, the off-premise market start to get really, really soft for an awful lot of those same breweries that are doing everything at their own place instead of, you know, like having a release party in 10 different places in the state. Now they just have one release party at their their place, and then they're wondering why they're not having as much impact anymore in yeah. the marketplace. And I'm like, well, well, it's, you, know. you know, and it's interesting because we we even before the pandemic were were still we were moving away from the whole release party special tapping, you know, other uh -huh. than 
like super special beers like Cantillon. But I noticed um, even with the breweries that made an effort to to do things on an and we we had some really good breweries who continued to make that effort to send their on premise um, accounts really special beers. But the the attendance on those things had dropped dramatically, almost to the point of them not being worth doing. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, even you know some I mean, of them. It, it, it was still it was better at those events than it was at the others, but at the same time, unfortunately, the marketplace, you know, the only qualification is it's new, and you have breweries that are putting right. out three and four new beers every single day, and you know they've kind of screwed the pooch on on releasing things that way, and you know just the same thing with holiday beers, different holidays and stuff like that you know, by going to earlier and earlier release dates and, and it, you know, it's become, it's a non-issue. You can't get people out anymore on those kind of things. And I agree. No, it's, you're right. It's, Has that been your experience too, Michael? Yeah. I mean, um, we have done a, um, a couple of events um, in, in recent weeks and we drew decent crowds for them. Um, we're not doing any ticketed events. We're not doing beer dinners. We're not, we haven't done uh, any like, uh, you know, like kind of events we used to do very often with, uh, you know, brewer meet and greets and stuff like that. But we've done a couple of release things that were, you know, modestly attended. It was worth doing them. Um, I'm just finding that, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of the things that we did 10 years ago, uh, aren't relevant anymore. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, Chicago now has over 90 brewery tap rooms in the city limits more than any other city. Um, and it has really changed, uh, our purpose, um, so, you know, I think we're more of a neighborhood bar now. Um, we were selling and um, sort of, you know, pushing our cocktail program, which we never really did before. Um, we sell a lot of wine. Um, and uh, I don't know, like, I still have 62 draft lines. I, I, when we sold all of our seller out, we did not make any effort to carry a lot of bottles uh, and we won't anymore. I mean, I actually have three back bar bottle coolers that I turned off. I'm using them for storage cabinets now. Um, you know, the, pretty much the only beer I have in bottles is Belgian beer. I don't carry any IPAs, lagers, pilsners. I don't carry uh, any British or German beer in bottles. Um, and uh, that's probably going to stay that way. Um, I don't. I don't know that many of the type of events that we used to do a decade ago will come back. Um, we have to, you know, we have to think of, you know, a new business model. Definitely. I agree, and I think that's. Yeah, I think that's why the the pub is is. Um, you know, improving is that basically we, 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 we changed the business model, you know, and at some point, I mean, for us, it meant 
spending more time with customers and getting to know people. So that was the silver lining. But, but there is, and of course, I inherited a neighborhood bar. So at our core, we were always a neighborhood bar. But, but you do look at it at some point and say, is this, you know, I can survive. The question is, is this the kind of place I want to run? Is this how I want to spend my time? Um, And I think that, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, you, you know, no, I like, I like the way the bar was, you know, or the way my business was five years ago. And yes, I can make a living, but this is not where my heart is. You know, yeah. for, for us and, and where we were located in Denver, um, with less people going into office, because we were surrounded way more by offices than than people, than uh, apartments and things like that. Um, the lunch business, and I, I've talked with my friends that were across the street, and the lunch business is just abysmal down there right now. And they're having a tough time on that. And a lot of them are seriously, you know, have, have scaled back some of the days that they're open. And then the night business on our block got really affected. I mean, we couldn't stay open past 10 o'clock because the club next door to us, which uh, uh, they just brought in people that just caused problems on the streets. We had, six shootings inside of six people shot inside of three weeks and oh my god evaporated and uh they just had uh, a license a final license hearing and the recommendation did come back to get rid of the liquor license on the establishment the owner of the club the main person actually got up on the witness stand and was i mean the people reporting it were just sitting there with their jaws on the floor because he just, you know, basically said, well, I'm part of the mob. And uh, I mean, it took five minutes of questions just to get his real name out of him. Uh, it's, just, wow. it's just a horrible business. Uh, that person bought my building from my landlords for uh, a really outrageous sum of money. And uh He's going to try to do an end run around the licensing on that stuff, too. And it's just it's just horrible. It's a dance club. And I just. Uh, it, it, it just really has ruined that our our street, which for years, you know, did not have so many problems on it. And uh, it, it's really sad because a lot of people put a lot of money in into their businesses there. And they're all suffering because of it. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I sleep a little better at night now. I'm not worrying about, you know, my staff. I'm not worrying about me and us trying to get out of there at night. I mean, we, you know, we were originally open during COVID till 11. And, you know, we would see that the the business would start to tail off then. and, And we were okay with that. But we just kept we were having a hard time getting out of our parking lot to go home huh. after 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, it's, it's people that want, that just want to be seen throwing, you know, spending absurd amounts of money. Uh, and it's mostly, you know, drug dealers and the people that like to hang out with them. So. Yeah, we've had, uh, yeah. 
you know, there's <laughs> been an uptick in, you know, carjackings and other crime over the last year that is making people, I think it's another factor in how much, you know, less business there is late at night. Late night. Um, people are um, feeling a little nervous uh, about being out and about. Uh, our neighborhood has stayed, it's still has not had any of these horrendous uh, incidents, but um, it seems to be creeping closer and closer. And it's in people's mind now that um, the streets are less safe than they were a couple of years ago. And some of the, you know, the crime has been extremely bold and, you know, really frightening. And we're, of course, having the same problems in New Orleans. Um, and it's, it's, I don't think that we're seeing the, I don't think we're going to see the end of it uh, anytime soon. Nope. Sad to say. Yeah. And that, it's, uh, you know, a lot of our late night, later night business was service industry people, especially restaurant workers, because they would get off. You know, the restaurants are closed by 10. They're out by 11. They want to go out after work. And so many of the people that we knew, they're all, they get out and they go straight home. They're not staying out late at night either. They're so exhausted when they get done at work and dealing with some of the people that they, you know, they're just like, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a gummy on the way home and be done with it. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's just no two ways to get it about it. They, they're just, you know, they're going home. They don't well, want to deal my, with it my anymore. People are, uh, they, they are working harder. Um, you know, we're very lucky that our, our customers have throughout the pandemic been, uh, very cooperative. I mean, if if we ask them to wear a mask, they're going to wear a mask. If they need to show a vaccine card, they're going to show a vaccine card. If, you know, when all of my employees are vaccinated, uh, most of them are boosted now. Um, we've, we've not had, you know, there's other neighborhoods in Chicago and certainly other areas of Illinois where, like, there's a great deal of hostility that gets vented to uh, bar and restaurant staff uh for uh requesting masks or wearing masks or anything like that we haven't had any of that and we feel very blessed that 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 is the case you are you you really are blessed i think uh we we've experienced quite a lot of that hostility not from the locals um as much i mean there's the the odd pain in the butt local who who doesn't want to do it but um but you know, New Orleans is sort of a destination party place. People come to New Orleans because they have this idea that, you know, anything goes, right? And um, their their attitude, even though they're coming into what they know is a nice bar, their attitude is still, you're in New Orleans and I can do and act any way I want. (laughs) Um, We have stopped accepting, um, finally, we're not accepting any post wedding or post rehearsal dinner events at all neither are we um yeah yeah. and and so part of that is 
part of that is, you know, we, you know, staffing, but, but, but a large part of it is, is really just behavior. Um, when somebody walks in and they, they haven't drank anything yet and they're having their first few beers of the night with a, with a meal, um, their behavior is entirely different than somebody who walks in at, you know, even an afternoon wedding and they've already got, you know, they're already three sheets to the wind. Maybe they ate, maybe they didn't. And, and that, that, that sense of, you know, the bar owner and the, the employees is trying to spoil their fun um, and getting hostile with staff and insulting uh, is just, it's more than we can, it's more than we can deal with. And you've got a post wedding group of even 20 to 30 people. Um, 98% of those people are going to be wonderful, but that 2% that's not are truly awful. And that, 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 you know, it's so exhausting for floor staff who are already, they're working harder they have fewer, uh, they have less support staff, you know, they have fewer yeah. food runners and bussers, they, they're doing more work. Everybody now at Hopleaf is multitasking. Uh, bartenders yeah. now often run the drinks to the table. They never did that before. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We yeah. have bartenders running food. We have food runners running drinks. We have, uh, you know, yeah. dishwashers prepping. It's team service in a, in a true way that it didn't used to be team service. Yeah. And, and in some ways it's better, but it, it's, it's more work. It, it, you know, at the end of their shift, you know, they're, they're more tired. And we used to have a lot of um, floor staff and bar staff who only worked, they worked 24, 26 hours a week and they made a lot of money. Well, now right. they are working 36 or 40 hours a week. <laughs> And they're making, maybe they're making a little more, but they're working a lot harder for it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate what they're doing. Uh, it's, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be open today without them. Yeah. I mean, during during all of COVID. You're right about that. Yeah. Now during all of COVID, I mean, I was the doorman. I was the person asking, you know, please wear your mask and everything like that. We, uh, we had very little pushback on that. All of our regulars were, you know, they, they didn't have to be told, uh, you know, a few tourists we had, so we were having a lot of problems with tourists from uh, mostly in the Southeast. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, that part was rough sometimes, but it, it wasn't horrible. Uh, in fact, the health department during the whole thing never really came in to our place because they heard me giving the spiel at the front door <laughs> so many times. Yeah. They're like checking the box off. We're like, we'll see you later. <laughs> you're, you're, you're saying everything we want you to say. And they were right. walking, walking off. I mean, they came through and did a look through very basically and what uh, one afternoon and they're like, you know, you're, you're totally on top of this. And, uh, you know, that that wasn't our problem. It was just looking forward and, and seeing, you know, you know, is it worth going through all this other stuff? And, you know, we had the out with our landlords. Uh, they were terrific. And, uh, you know, I don't owe any money to anybody. I've paid everybody off. I think I have to deal with the state. Uh, it's the last. I think. I think the final thing is. I think I owe him twenty bucks right now. So. Um, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No. I. I it, it's all. 
that's all done and I, I should be, you know, I've been able to sleep a little bit, but I, it's still a little bit weird. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'm, bet. I'm, I'm getting mindful of everybody's time. Um, and we, I know everything that I, I, I wanted to pick your brains on you all again, didn't need me here this year uh, because you all just brought up naturally and, and led each other into it. Um, but uh, as I start to let you go, I, I, I wonder, because we were talking about sellers before and um, uh, you know, beers poured in, in, in the past, if a, a, a magic tap suddenly existed uh, at, at your places. And Chris, let's just, you know, let's, let's talk about your home bar, I guess right now, but a magic tap existed and you could pour a beer that you've previously had, but that is no longer in production. What would that beer be? And Chris, I'll start with you. Oh boy. Is that one a tough one? Um, um, you know, for for me, uh, th- there was a, an early beer. Uh, there was an early IPA made at a little brew pub up in the mountains. And it was called Mister Hoppy, and uh, that one really, for a lot of people at Falling Rock, the first I don't know, three four years we were open, that was the one beer that kind of got people into drinking hoppier beers because basically it was just a, a standard amber ale that was just really hopped up and and that's one that a lot of my customers all all bring up that same beer. michael if you could walk into the bar this afternoon and there's a magic tap of a beer that uh, is no longer in production what you know what would you hope would flow I mean, in our early days, there were several breweries that, you know, were really, um, you know, key to our success and drew a lot of people in that don't just don't exist anymore or they don't export anymore. And uh, we had a local brewery called Golden Prairie that was really made some really interesting beers. There's actually was an attempt to revive this brewery a couple of years ago with the original brewmaster. It, it just didn't fly. Uh, not enough people remembered it. Uh, but I, I would love to see some of those beers from that era. Um, we did really, really well with the Quebec brewery uh, McCausland. And McCausland, their, their oatmeal stout, their, uh, they had a smooth ale, they had, they had a series of British-style beers. They no longer, they still exist, um, but they don't export anymore. And I would love to to have the McCausland beers back um, with us. Um, one of the breweries that did pull out of the market that is coming back that I'm excited about uh, coming back is uh, Gooden Corrales. Um, they are, are, they've got a new importer and we look forward to seeing them uh, uh, probably in the spring. And so that'll be exciting to see them come back because we really love their beers as well. Um, you know, we don't, there, there's a lot of beers, uh, you know, Polly knows of my, um, problems. You know, we, we never have Pantheon beer. <laughs> we used to, you know, 20 years ago, I had Pantheon beer all the time. Um, uh, I would, I would love to walk into Hopleaf and have bottles and draft of 
Pantheon again. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Uh, it's been uh, other than one day, two years ago, uh, we haven't had any Cantillon beer uh, for uh, over nine years. So we'd love to see it come back. Polly, same question to you. If uh, you could once again pour a beer that's no longer made, what would you love for it to be? Uh, I, I don't think this is being made any longer. I think that COVID took them down. I'm not sure if they're, I know they're not importing but uh, Mars Undisfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful lager uh, that we used to get um, from the Franconian region. And it was, it was lovely and, and really different than any of the other uh, imports that we could get. And I think, um, you know, I, Shelton Brothers went out of business. And some of their, like Cantillage, Refantina, have been picked up by Lime Ventures. So, so we still have some limited access to that. But, but what we lost when Shelton went down um, were the little places that they, done, they never really made money off importing them. It was a labor of love and, and, and it was a labor of love, you know, the cask lager that we used to be able to get every year. I, a customer asked about that the other day. I don't think that will ever happen again. I think that that time is just gone in history that we're going to be able to get those, those cave age cast loggers that Shelton used to be able to, to, to send us quickly and we could tap during Oktoberfest. I just don't ever see that happening again. And I miss that. Yeah. yeah they used to send us, they used to send us the due to CL beers also mm-hmm. from Quebec and Oh God, do we miss those beers? <laughs> we love those beers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are some so I would say beers. Yeah, we still have some good um and uh, we can get some um, in limited amounts. But uh, we have a passion mortel on uh, right now. But but it's they Shelton. What Shelton did, and probably one of the reasons they went belly up, was they they championed these tiny little places that 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 really didn't have any kind of um, uh, exposure outside of their own little town, but it, we can get De La Seine now, which was huge. We got Terrace Bulba for the first time in two years. I practically cried. Yeah. But like Cuvée de Jonquille from Oberon, um, which is one of my all-time favorite uh, saisons. I, I doubt I'll ever see that again. We can get some limited blogy, thank goodness. Um, but but the, the loggers that, that the Shelpins used to um, bring in, especially for Oktoberfest, and then the Mars U that, that we were able to get all year long, those I think I don't think we'll ever see that again. And I haven't seen anything in the market that I think comes close to replacing it, which is a shame because I think there's a huge demand for it right now. Um, but Europe was hit just as hard, and they're having the same uh, personnel issues and staffing issues that, that we're having in the States over there. So I just don't see it happening. At the end, when we did this last year in 2020, I, I had expressed that I had hoped to uh, be at all three of your places uh, in the calendar year of 2021. Uh, Chris, I was only able to make it to your place, and and I'm I'm grateful th- that I was there to um, to to say goodbye to it. But I hope in 2022, Michael and Polly, I'm able to come back and bend elbows with you, and I hope everybody you know returns and comes back and 
lunch hours, I think is uh, better suited for a lot of us anyway. So I, I, I look forward to that, but um, thanks as always to the three of you for everything that you've done for beer to keep beer culture alive and moving forward and, and giving us all uh, places that create memories and serve good drink and good cheer and, you know, have really made beer in the U S what it is today. So thanks for, thanks for that. And thanks again for taking the time for doing this show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah. Thank you. John. That was terrific. What beer bars do you want to visit in 2022? You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder to join the Smoked Beer Conversation with other enthusiasts on the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page or on Twitter and Instagram at Beer. And if you're a brewery or company that wants to support the show and bring original content to the airwaves, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com. Speaking of that, thanks to the companies who help keep us on the air. This dry January, party on all month long with Athletic Brewing Company's great tasting non-alcoholic craft beer. Their full lineup of craft styles lets you drink up and stay dry while keeping things fresh. And with brews starting at only 50 calories, you can stick to your resolutions all while saying cheers. Join the party at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Plus, new customers can get 10% off with code BEEREDGE10. And NZ Hops is a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz, or you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. A reminder to check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. Back here, Nate Schweber performs our theme music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and I'll be back again in 2022 to drink beer and to think beer.